Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski from paulkuharski.com. I have fulfilled my obligation to mention my name three times. It's also right here on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, second episode that's available in this fashion. I urge you to subscribe here or on the podcast platform that you're listening to me on. And uh, I appreciate that. Like it as well. And uh, here are the Titans thoughts that are on my mind this week uh, as I get ready to turn 54, which is incredibly old. Um, so hold your birthday wishes. I prefer to pretend it's not happening. Um, I was thinking this week about titles and how meaningless they could be in the NFL. And this is no shot at uh, at Rand Carthon, certainly, but this is what brought it uh, to, to mind. Because Rand Carthon, in his career, um, has been a pro-side guy. Um, he was a pro scout with Atlanta when he started out for four years. He was director of pro personnel with the Rams for five years. He was director of pro personnel with San Francisco for four years. And then he was director of player personnel with San Francisco for two years. So all of that lends, you know, us the idea that he hasn't been involved much on the college side, um, which would, you know, be a little bit of a concern that he hasn't been that involved in drafts or that involved in college scouting, which is obviously going to be a big part of his job now when he is running the Titans drafts as their new general manager. This led me to ask a question of him at his press conference about that um, and about what it's like coming to those drafts as largely a pro-side guy who his titles indicate wouldn't have been involved heavily in drafts um, until the last two years when he moved from a pro side to a player side, which would encompass um, both pro and college side. To that, he said, I've been predominantly pro by title, but I've had draft experience since I've come into this league under people who understood my skill set and have allowed me to grow from that space. Director of pro and pro scout, those have just been my titles, but not necessarily my job. Fair answer that um, gave us more context as to, to what he does but also kind of exposes the silliness of some of these titles, <clears throat> these, um, you know, scout side people or people at the top of the scouting departments with their teams, <clears throat> excuse me, until you're in the top, until you're at the top as a director of pro personnel um, or an assistant general manager um, are generally on the pro side or on the college side. And a lot of GMs, as they bring guys up, will bounce them between the two sides to give them experience on the two sides. But you generally have more of your experience in a given season anyway, <clears throat> on one side or the other. And um, so that was a question I had. I know uh, some others in the media were curious about it as well with, with Rand Carthon. And so, it kind of led me to just this idea that <clears throat> we know so little about all of these underlings 
in the front office in terms of what they actually do and who personnel wise their fingerprints are actually on. And so a general manager generally is the chief personnel guy, maybe the the coaches in some circumstances, we know it's a collaborative effort. Everybody's going to say that, but ultimately the buck generally stops with the general manager, right? And he takes the blame for a failed pick and he gets the acclaim for a successful pick or free agent acquisition. We saw that with the Titans with John Robinson, right? Roger Saffold, good signing, gets credit for, you know, filling up that left guard hole when the Titans needed to fortify their offensive line by getting the best veteran guard that had was on the market that year and probably was on the market that year, the year before and the year after. <clears throat> and the Titans got, <clears throat> excuse me, after a shaky start from Roger Saffold, they got solid play from him, provided that his shoulders cooperated. Um, you know, and then we go to the other extreme, Isaiah Wilson, obviously a terrible first round pick. Surely other people signed off on Isaiah Wilson, starting with, um, you would suspect, the uh, Southeastern scout on that staff. But ultimately, John Robinson makes the pick. Ultimately, John Robinson takes the blame for that pick. And um, it's part of why he was fired. One of the uh, chief elements that you would put in the, in the <clears throat> con column for John Robinson as to the roster deconstruction that got him fired. But, you know, you look at bios around the league. Carthon was talking about, you know, uh, guys who had worked for the 49ers who've went gone on to bigger and better things. One of them is, is Quasi Adolfo Mensal, uh, who's the general manager now of, of the Vikings, right? So his bio with the Vikings says that while he was with the 49ers front office, he helped select Fred Warner and Debo Samuel, George Kittle and Nick Bosa. Well, you know, those are fantastic players. How much did he help select them? We don't know. They were selected while he was there as a manager or director of research and development. So he was part of a collaboration there where Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were doing the player selecting. <coughs> I'm going to get rid of that cough eventually here. Um, you know, but also a, a biography of somebody like uh, Adolfo Mensah, which is trying to illustrate what he did while he was with the 49ers. It's not going out of its way to mention somebody that maybe he made a case for that was a failed signee or draft pick by the 49ers. So we don't get a true assessment very often of what a behind the scenes guy does in a front office, which it's just kind of an odd thing if you think about football in general, because from a player perspective, I'm not saying we know everything. We don't know the blocking scheme. We don't know the intricacies of some pass patterns and the like. But when an interception is thrown, oftentimes it's pretty obvious who is at fault. And if it's not pretty obvious, reporters are in the locker room after the game, 
asking all the parties involved what went wrong with the play. Those guys have the eye in the sky on every practice snap, on every game snap, and uh, they're evaluated on every single thing they do by their coaches, every single thing they do in sight of the media. um, They're critiqued on. Oftentimes they claim unfairly, but we try to do a fair job with it and ask questions about it. Some of it's pretty clear. Quarterback accuracy um, drops, missed tackles, dropped interceptions, things like that. And there's an expected accountability that is uh, to a large degree public and, you know, to a larger degree in-house. That in-house accountability, I'm certain, takes place with the kind of people I'm talking about, front office people underneath a GM and or a coach who's got, you know, final say powers, if you will. But you don't see it. We don't know, right? Rand Carthon looks great, and Rand Carthon could be great, but we don't really know. Now, Amy Adams Strunk and um, and the committee that she put together to interview the GM candidates and uh, and Mike Vrabel in talking to people in San Francisco and talking to people in St. Louis slash Los Angeles and talking to people as far back as Atlanta get the best assessments they can in terms of who Carthon really did identify and contribute to the evaluation of on the good side and on the bad side. And uh, Carthon, I would imagine is candid, you know, I really did, uh, you know, help identify George Kittle or, you know, maybe I wasn't the biggest proponent of, of Nick Bosa or, or whatever it is. And that's good that that's all known behind the scenes. I'm just pointing out that for how microscopically we're able to evaluate player talent in a lot of situations, here it is where uh, titles can be deceiving. And what we know about what these people contribute, which is very important, um, is, is very little. And then we'll take the title thing to a different level. Tim Kelly who's a candidate for the Titans um, uh, offensive coordinator job, was passing game coordinator this last year. Now, was that a title that Mike Vrabel gave him to get him the salary that he wanted to get him from Amy Adams Strunk in order to bring him aboard when he had some other job opportunities when he was um, let go by the Houston Texans? And did it amount to offensive coordinator in waiting and assistant tight ends coach was just what he appeared to be at the practice sessions that, that, uh, that we watched in the media, particularly uh, once the season got started, or did he in fact have a hand during the week in coordinating the passing game, particularly in, in meetings when the game plan was drawn up, you know, right now, if you're a Titans fan and Tim Kelly has a chance of becoming Um, the actual next offensive coordinator. You're hoping he didn't have a lot to do with coordinating the passing game. Now we know the protection for the quarterback was bad. Tannehill wasn't there for several games when they had to turn to Malik Willis and ultimately Josh Dobbs. What was that? A total of five games. Um, The receivers were a bad lot. The AJ Brown trade was a disaster, et cetera, et cetera. Still, if he was in fact coordinating the passing game, 
There wasn't much there to say, hey, I want that guy who was coordinating that passing game to take over for the team that I root for. I'm being in your shoes right now. And uh, with, a, with a variety of people available from other teams out there to bring in new and fresh ideas, I would imagine that you'd prefer somebody other than Tim Kelly, if it's going to be Tim Kelly. Um, and let's hope nobody's been hired between uh, Wednesday night when I'm recording this and Thursday morning when it drops, that um, if it's going to be Tim Kelly, you would rather him not have been very involved. Um, if it's Tim Kelly and he, in fact, coordinated the passing game, that's a leap of faith by Mike Vrabel that things are going to change somehow dramatically with a guy who, yes, knows the personnel that will be held over, um, but would also, you know, <clears throat> have some level of say in uh, who you wanted to bring in and use in what fashion and um, do so from a position of not having done very well for a terrible offense last year. Jim Schwartz, senior defensive assistant. Could never get anybody to give us a hint of what Jim Schwartz did. My impression was he really only was a sounding board for Shane Bowen um, in the two years that he was here, and he is now the defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns back more fully um, in the business from which he came. So just some uh, some thoughts on titles and what people actually do and how Oftentimes, we just don't know. Um, Got to rely on uh, what people tell us about themselves, what other people tell us about them, and on what they do, in fact, when they get promoted into a position where there is no confusion about what they'll be doing. Um, and that's certainly the case with Carthon now. Um, it would certainly be the case if Tim Kelly wound up the offensive coordinator. Uh, I'm certainly rooting for something else in the second department there. Another Carthon issue. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people act as if there's going to be a San Francisco pipeline to Nashville now. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it was right out of the gate or the second year for um, John Robinson when we saw Dion Lewis and Malcolm Butler come. Um, and, you know, Malcolm Butler was a pretty good player for the Titans. Um he certainly gave them a lot of the attitude that they needed to have in the secondary. Deion Lewis was not a very good player for the Titans. Um, and both of them were overpaid um, for what they got here, uh, which is why the Patriots let them, let them go for that. But a, a lot of people automatically think Trey Lance is in the mix to be the next uh, Titans quarterback. I don't know why we're all envisioning that the that the 49ers are so anxious to give up Trey Lance. Purdy's playing a very nice quarterback for San Francisco as they head into the NFC Championship game, which is fantastic for San Francisco. But this does not mean that you automatically only want to have one quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is not under contract beyond this season. Uh, I would think that uh, they would be done with him and – if Purdy plays as he's played, you're in fantastic shape going forward with him. If he regresses back to more of what you'd expect, Trey Lance gives you a nice second option. If he's close to what you expected when you gave up all of those picks to go draft him, if he doesn't, at least you have two options. They gave up what? Two firsts, a 
third. I mean, I gave up a huge draft package to get him. Now, Mike Silver, who is uh, a pretty good friend of mine, a colleague um, in the business who writes for um, a paper <coughs> slash website out there, um, wrote about how despite all that San Francisco gave up to draft Trey Lance, that that people he talks to around the league calculate that he would only be worth a, a third round pick right now, which is another reason to me that they shouldn't think about trading him. Trey Lance isn't burning a hole in the 49ers pocket. Trey Lance has a $9.3 million salary cap number in 2023 and a 10.9 uh, salary cap number in 2024. And if they were to exercise his fifth year option, they could have control of him through 2025 that would be an expensive number, but not a ridiculously expensive number. And they would have to uh, put that tag on him in the spring of 2024 before they saw that $10.9 million cap season. So why do we think, why is everybody so convinced that San Francisco is dying to get rid of Trey Lance and that the Titans could get him for a third? If his value right now is a third, He's at minimum value. That's not when San Francisco would trade him. They would wait until his value was back up and they could get more for him than that. And this idea that a team with two quarterbacks has to get rid of one is silly. You have two quarterbacks. That's what you want is to have two quarterbacks. Now, Garoppolo's the guy who will be out there. And a lot of Titans fans seem to want Garoppolo or think he would be a good idea. I think these Titans fans must have forgotten that one of the huge issues with the Titans over the last two years is that everybody's hurt. And Jimmy Garoppolo has played, has missed 36% of the 49ers games over the last three years. He's missed 18 of 50 games because of injuries. So how an often injured quarterback would help solve the Tennessee Titans problems, A, at quarterback, and B, with getting – people on the field is beyond me. But I don't think any answer to any Titans quarterback problem is going to come from San Francisco because I don't think San Francisco's trading Trey Lance for what the market says he's worth, a third. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo as a free agent solves any problems because I don't think he's available often enough. Maybe maybe the price is right where you take the risk based on uh, the availability, but everybody out there seems to have a beef with the Titans signing injured guys. Uh, Bud Dupree, example one, or drafting injured guys, Caleb Farley, example one. So it doesn't really fit the best. I, I mean, I'm sure there are going to be some 49er connections. I'm not sure there's going to be this 49ers pipeline that some people seem to be envisioning. Their best free agent to be is Mike McGlinchey, 28-year-old offensive tackle who's played right tackle. I, I, I don't love Nicholas petit Frere, but if you're looking at guys who could remain in place for next year, I would say he's the number one guy. He's got promise to continue to develop. His run blocking was, you know, I'd say probably a little better than average. He needs to develop as a pass protector. If he's the worst guy on your line, you'd be all right. And he got away with a lot last year because he was the third worst guy on the line. And we were busy talking about Dennis Daly 
and uh, Aaron Brewer before we got to NPF. Um, but I don't know. If, if you're signing Mike McGlinchey, then what are you doing with Nicholas Petit Frere? They need a Mike McGlinchey who doesn't play right tackle. Um, and I don't see one on the 49ers free agent list to be. So that's a little bit of a problem. Um, but we'll see. Certainly, Rain Carthon has people from uh, the team he comes from who he likes um, and who will see suit up for the Titans in training camp, if not this year, next year, and beyond. But uh, I don't know how many of them are going to be you know, in the starting lineup based on the list. I looked at the sponsor of this very podcast, fan of this very podcast and of paulkuharski.com is Jonathan Jeans. Um, he's a Farm Bureau insurance agent out of Nolensville, Tennessee. It's not far from this home office right here. Um, he can get you an auto policy, a home policy, a life policy, any combination of those three that you want. If you're in need of an insurance policy, I encourage you to get in touch with him. I'll give you the phone number in a second. But also, um, if you've come to this through a post at paulkuharski.com, all of his information, a link to get to him through the internet and his phone number will be here waiting for you. And if you're not in need of a policy, I would encourage you to get in touch with him, fellow Titans fan. Um, and fellow fan of this podcast, uh, spend a couple minutes with him and see if he can't give you a better deal than the deal you have right now. Can't hurt to compare. And uh, I bet there's a good chance that he can do better for you than you're getting right now. So give him a call, Jonathan Jean, 615-776-1544, 615-776-1544. Appreciate you helping the people who help me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about priorities um, because I think people, some fans, Titans, followers, and uh, diehards have come into this to say, okay, the Titans have a new GM. What's the thing he's going to do first? What's the most important thing? What's he got to bang out first? And this is not a thing where the most important thing gets done first or the first thing is the most important thing. It, it, there's a big off season now. Today's January 26th when you're listening to this perhaps. And, um, you know, free agency doesn't come around until March. The draft's not until the end of April. The season doesn't start until early September. As long as these things get done, it doesn't matter in what order they get done. And that's important to keep in mind. Let's look at left tackle. Left tackle is one of the most important things this team has to address. But does it have to address it first? You know, there is no huge prize of a left tackle in free agency, as best we could tell. Maybe one gets cut um, in, in, in before free agency opens for salary cap reasons or something like that. But they don't have to deal with left tackle, which might amount to priority one first. Now, I would imagine that they get some kind of, uh, you know, contingency plan you don't like to go into the draft absolutely having to have something but i would imagine they do something during free agency where they have uh 
something that would be functional if they had to fall back on it. And then they're probably going to deal with a, uh, a, a left tackle early in the draft. Well, the draft doesn't start until April 29th or 30th. So it's not going to be first. Left tackle is one of the most important things they're going to deal with. But they're probably not dealing with it, I wouldn't think, until the first day of the draft. For me, it would be probably the most likely thing that they do with pick number 11 in the draft. Um, so priority one, but item number one, chronologically, absolutely not. So, uh, that, that's, that you can't put it in an order where you think that they have to go, um, item by item, the most important thing down to the least important thing. And we've had this conversation in years past when at the very beginning of free agency, the Titans have dealt with long snapper and kicker and people have freaked out like oh that's what they think is most important no that's not what they think is most important though they think it's important but those are things that lined up and made it easy for them to do those things at the beginning but it doesn't mean later on they're not going to get to stuff that they also think is important um, perhaps more important at a different time what's important is that when those periods are done the early free agent period, the middle free agent period, and the draft, that they've addressed all of those things. Now, I don't want to say they can leave a lot of that stuff for later because too many people have become accustomed to this idea like, ooh, who can they go get in uh, in September after you know free agency takes place in March and maybe there's a second round of free agency after the draft. But this idea that there's then, you know, a, a big market of players available during the season, like when people were complaining about the caliber of people the Titans were and were not bringing in when they got as hurt as they did, silly. Because there's not a very good market of players. The, the kind of players you get are Terrence Mitchell and Andrew Adams, who, you know, rose to the occasion in, in some instances. But they're also, um, you know, Chris Connolly. I liked talking to Chris Connolly a great deal, but he didn't make an offensive contribution. And, and that's the caliber of player you're getting at that stage. So, yes, want everything done in that period of time. But don't rank it. Like if the first move they make is, uh, you know, a, a backup offensive lineman when they're going to work on depth and front line and all of that, don't go crazy and say, oh, my God, they're not prioritizing the first thing first. It doesn't have to be in order. It's likely not going to be in order. One little side note that's driving me crazy in this neighborhood. Uh, every day when I back out of this, most days when I back out of this driveway, um, I like to toot the horn, say goodbye to my wife and uh, the dogs who are often in my wife's window upstairs. But lately, there's, you know, little activity going on in the neighborhood. Somebody's in the yard doing something. There's a delivery guy or whatever. And then they all think I'm trying to get their attention. So then I set off a thing where I'm waving to people that I don't want to wave to. I'm acknowledging all these people. I, I don't want that. I just want to toot at my wife. So now I'm backing off tooting at my wife. I have to check the landscape. If it's all clear, I can toot. If it's not, 
can't toot because I don't want all this random waving. If I don't want the random waving, then I feel like Ripley, the three-legged dog sitting in the window, is disappointed that dad did not honk the horn. It's a real dilemma. That was your little side note. Offensive coordinator. Talked about Tim Kelly. I don't think this thing's happening anytime soon. I don't think we know a lot of candidates. Um, Vrabel works hard to keep this stuff quiet. Permission stuff generally comes out because it gets reported. But I think there are some candidates who could not need permission um, because their contracts are up. Could have been interviewed already. Um, and be in the pipeline as candidates, their agents asked to keep it on the down low and then following through. Um, we know Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy, um, their team's still playing, but that the, the, the Titans have asked permission to talk to them. Um, Charles London from Atlanta, Ooten. Um, was not necessarily for uh, offensive coordinator from Denver. Those are the four names that have become public in addition to Tim Kelly. Uh, Mike Herndon, who you should be reading at paulkuharski.com, which you can see below me over here. You can be a member of for just $5.99 a month. Deal that is one of the best deals you're going to find. Um, Mike Herndon, who writes uh, – at the site once a week did a uh, big breakdown of all these offensive coordinator candidates and added some, some names to the list that intrigue him um, included Bobby Slowick, who's never called plays, but he's the passing game coordinator for the 49ers. Um, certainly the Titans new GM would have insight into him and the 49ers passing game is, uh, is a dream model. That's something that the Titans have elements of or certainly would like to have elements of. Eagles quarterback coach Brian Johnson played quarterback at Utah, coordinated um, at Utah, at Houston, at Florida. He's called plays at all of those places. So he's got a diverse portfolio um, as a play caller. He's got some other names in, uh, in that list that you will want to read. Another name I, just out of the playoff teams, I, I, I caught my eye, Kevin Petulo, who was uh, here, uh, I think, on Mike Munchaff's staff early in his career. Uh, he's the passing game coordinator uh, for the Eagles. Also has no play calling um, experience, but uh, could be a, a guy of, of interest out of the teams that are still playing. Um I forgot to go back and check on which team has asked permission to talk to Luke Steckel, um, the Titans tight ends coach. I don't think that Luke Steckel is an in-house candidate for the Titans. He wasn't even the first choice here to replace. And I think he's done a good job and I think he's a bright young coach. But he wasn't the first candidate for the Titans when they were replacing Todd Downing, when Todd Downing um, replaced Arthur Smith as offensive coordinator here in Tennessee. So um, I just don't think – I don't know that there is a second candidate beyond Kelly. Pat O'Hara um, I don't think is somebody that Vrabel views as a, as a play caller. 
Tony Dews, very good uh, running back coach. Um, I also don't don't think is there. Offensive uh, line coach is gone, and Keith Carter. So a replacement will be coming after the offensive line uh, offensive coordinator gets hired. Um, and Rob Moore, the uh, wide receivers coach. I, I I don't think any of those guys. Uh, I, I could be wrong. They could be a candidate. Uh, I'd be very surprised if any of them emerged as the offensive line coach um, in Tennessee. Um, the Hall of Fame voting. I'm uh, fortunate enough to be one of 49 selectors. Voting is um, this month, and the uh, the class will be named um, at the big shindig that takes place the night before the Super Bowl. Um, I've got. Um, Objections really to the to the candidacy of of one of the 15 modern era finalists who made it to the final 10 last year. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Devin Hester, who I know is absolutely electric, electric returner um, and a fantastic player. But I have, I have trouble with special teams on, and the Hall of Fame. And it's not that he's not a deserving candidate. And it's not that uh, punt and kick returns are not a vital piece of the game. It's just that there's such a small piece of the game. And when I look at the list of candidates here that include Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Dwight Freeney, three great receivers, and Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, <clears throat> Joe Thomas, um, I have trouble not ranking Devin Hester personally going into this as as last among among the 15 based on workload now and so he's a victim to me of his position but I, i've been working on, on this devin hester had 315 punt returns and 295 kick returns in his career 610 touches in his 11 seasons jared allen had more tackles than that now, certainly, Jared Allen's tackles are not as impactful as Devin Hester's returns. I'm just showing you, Jared Allen played so much more than Devin Hester that he had more tackles than Devin Hester had return snaps. Willie Anderson played uh, 10 seasons where he played all 16 games. In those 10 seasons, he played 17 times more snaps than Devin Hester. 17 times more snaps than those 610 snaps that Devin Hester touched the ball. Joe Thomas is famous for playing 10,363 consecutive snaps. 17 times more snaps in his consecutive snap streak than Devin Hester had special teams snaps where he touched the ball to return a punt or a kick. I have a lot of trouble reconciling that lack of workload with these other 14 guys who play and were on the field all of the time. Some of them, like Albert Lewis, who was a top-tier cornerback of his era and also played – exquisite 
excellent special teams blocking punts um, at a rate largely unseen. So I don't know if Devin Hester's going to make the Hall of Fame this year or not. He's got a lot of support, but that that's that's my thinking as to why I have a hard time uh, putting him forward. And and I have that issue with a lot of special teamers. I have that issue when when the great kickers of our time come around. I want them in the Hall of Fame, but I'm going to have trouble putting them in the Hall of Fame ahead of great players that are in the field with them who um, weren't standing on the sideline with their helmet waiting for their moment the way Devin Hester was um, so, so, so often. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, curious for your feedback on that. Send me a, a tweet at Paul Kuharski NFL. Talk to me on the public Facebook page. If you're a member on the private Facebook page, um, well, you can always send me an email, pkuharski at gmail.com. Games this weekend, I got to say, uh, I got a little betting interest in this because I've had a good feeling about Cincinnati since last year. I thought Cincinnati would come back and be the rare Super Bowl loser that really made a push to get back to the game. And so in early December, uh, I made some $1 bets at FanDuel on some potential Super Bowl matchups. And one of them was Cincinnati-Philadelphia. So if Cincinnati and Philadelphia, and I'm intrigued by the 49ers, but my wife lives in my house and she's from Philadelphia and she's an Eagles fan. And my son has Eagles stuff all over his room. So if the Bengals and the Eagles win, my $1 bet pays $181. And if Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl, a $5 bet I made somewhere along the way pays $115. And in a very odd parlay I made way, way back, uh, a $5 bet where I had Utah winning the Pac-10 and Cincinnati winning the Super Bowl pays $402. And so if Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl and Philadelphia wins the AFC, That'll total up uh, $698, which will about offset the damn TV that I had to buy to replace the TV my kid broke when he threw a ping pong paddle into a cushion thinking it would soften the blow and instead bounced off the cushion into the TV, cracking the screen. Won't he be lucky if those two things uh, come about? Don't think for a second that I have told him about those bets, which should produce money in my pocket. And instead, we'll go to Costco. Again, uh, Jonathan Jeans of Farm Bureau Insurance here in Nolansville, Tennessee. Please uh, consider giving him a call. Cross-check your policies, or if you're in need of a new one, he's your man. 615-776-1544. Again, that information is on the post, uh, which may have led you to these broadcasts. Subscribe, like, tell your friends. Best place for Titans content, paulkuharski.com. I appreciate you very much. Stay tuned for more. Don't block the box. And do, please, please, lock your locks.